0: And you can get an extra three months free expressvpn.com slash slash film.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Monday, June 3rd, 2019. On today's episode, I'm going to talk about living inside Disneyland, Star Wars, Galaxy's Edge for four days. I went there, I experienced it, and there's nobody I want to discuss this with more than Jacob Hall
2: hey, Peter, or hello, hello, my usual greeting, however you want me to say it, where it's only just you and me today.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you and me are the theme park nuts on this podcast. And uh, I, I think uh, – actually, you even, like, messaged me, and you are like, I have so many questions. I was like, let's do a podcast. Yes. So uh, I,
2: I have a whole list here, a massive list.
1: So uh, why don't we start off with the questions, I guess. Yeah, let's do it. So uh, – I'm a Disney
2: World guy, Peter. I've been in Disneyland since 1991 when I was only a couple of years old. So, um, but one of the things that I've always impressed me about Disney World is the transition between lands and how the urban design and the layout of fake mountains and the placement of buildings eases you in. So you don't quite realize you're a new place until you're there, and you, you don't see the Haunted Mansion from Frontierland, you know, so obviously and so on. But So, when you're in Disneyland, you know which is a smaller space than Disney World is, what is the transition like when you're walking from Disneyland, from one of the three entrances in Disneyland in the Galaxy's Edge, the new Star Wars area? Is it a clean transition? Does, does it feel like you're entering a new galaxy? How did the Imagineers set up, you know, the the transportation of you entering a new world. I'm very curious about this.
1: It's surprisingly seamless. There's three different entrances here into Galaxy's Edge in Orlando when it's finally built later this year for Hollywood Studios. There'll only be two entrances, Uh, but we got three and uh, all three of them kind of like seamlessly blend what, where, where you're coming from. Like the big ones are kind of like near Big Thunder Mountain area, which is kind of like this orangey rock and while you're walking, that rock just kind of transitions into. It almost feels like there's at one point there's like a a a line, like almost like there's a you know a portal that changes, and that rock now instead of it being carved out by man, it's been like sliced by lasers. And do you know what I mean? Like it just yeah. happens, but it's still the same rock, but it just like. It's as if, like, there's just this, like, one point in the world that it just changes. And it al- also, at, at the transition point, they have, like, the John Williams score that he wrote for this land. So, you feel like you're being transported to a galaxy far, far away.
2: So, this means, like, when you're standing in the entrance area, you can... If you see a little bit of Big Thunder Mountain Railroad from the entrance, it looks like part of Galaxy's Edge as opposed to being Big, Big Thunder.
1: Yeah. When you are inside... Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, when you're inside the planet of Batuu, which is actually this canonized planet within the Star Wars universe, uh, you really can't see much outside. You can see Big Thunder Mountain, which, as you mentioned, looks kind of like the same spires that are in uh, this area of Black Spire Outpost. And uh, you can kind of see the Matterhorn, but I'm sure eventually there'll be trees that will cover that. But when you're inside there, it feels like you are not in Disneyland at all. It feels like you are in a a different place and a different universe a different park it it feels completely different
2: yeah that brings me to my next point uh it's, it's the theming i mean i watch your videos i watch videos from my other theme park bloggers who i follow uh hi the tim tracker um yeah.
1: So just watching it, oh, and it, I was it, on Tim Tracker's video because yes, I got I, to hang out <laughs> with him, and uh, I didn't know I was. I, I guess some of me talking to my camera got onto his camera, so I apologize to him. But- yeah, I, I I could hear you in the background of, of his video, and I it was
2: cracking me up a little bit. Um, yeah. But the theming on this area is just it's incredible. I mean, just watching the footage of it, everything feels so lived in. It feels like it's bit brought to life, and. This it isn't just, you know, hey, welcome to Star Wars. It's, it's this is an area called Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, but you're on the planet Batu and at Black Spire Outpost. It's three locations, you know, and, and I, I love the attention to the detail. You know, you're not just in one city. You're in a city on a planet and, and, and a world. And that is just astonishing. So when you're walking around, uh, th- th- I'm sh- what kind of details stand out to you in person that maybe aren't quite captured in the videos? How does the theming feel when you're in that space?
1: Well, what's interesting. Their choice of bringing us to a planet that we have not seen in the movies or in the animated series before. Um, So this is not a place you recognize, but the world itself feels so distinctively Star Wars, you know, the crates, the, you know, the, how the doors are uh, like just all the little details. And the theming is just incredible. Like I've been to Pandora when that opened, what, a year ago or two years ago, whenever that was. And that was, I think, like the height of theme park uh, theming. Like, I think they, it it was, it's kind of like this arms race right now between them and universal with uh, universal creating wizarding world. I think, uh, Disney created Pandora and I feel like this tops Pandora in almost every single way. Uh, just everywhere you go, like there's all, everything feels lived in, everything feels, uh, used and worn. Um, you know, one of my favorite parks is uh, Disney's animal kingdom. I don't feel like that gets enough love, but like the, the, Theming in that is so incredible. It feels like a real world. And that's what this feels like. Like the buildings have, you know, dents from blaster fire. You know, like this world feels like it's been through a lot. And it's also kind of cool because this is a world that they are exploring in the comic books and the books and maybe even the video games and TV shows and movies. I I don't even know where, like how far that goes. But uh, at one point, we were in. The Cantina, and I, I, I was told that in Thrawn Alliances, the book from Timothy Zahn, uh, we get a story of Anakin Skywalker going to Batu uh, to meet uh, Thrawn. Uh, this is back in the Clone Wars days, and uh, some kind of uh, altercation breaks out in the Cantina, and there's some blast. I'm not exactly sure what it is because I have not read the book, but there's some kind of um, disturbance. There's some kind of uh, mess there that you can still see the remnants of when you're in the cantina so you feel like you are in a place that has, that exists actually in the star wars galaxy which is kind of really cool
2: yeah and so let's go ahead and dive into i think the big thing i think a lot of people are really curious about which is the one attraction that's opened with uh the land that's millennium falcon smugglers run and as a lot of people know there was two planned major e-ticket rides the you other know, one being Rise of the Resistance, but that one has been delayed a few months because uh, it wasn't quite ready for opening. So Million Falcon Smuggler's Run, you know, it's you have been recruited by Hondo Anaka from the animated shows to borrow the Million Falcon from Chewbacca to go on a smuggling mission that goes wrong, and it's essentially a video game meets motion simulator, right?
1: Yeah, it's um, I I don't, I don't know, it's quite, it's not quite a ride, and it's not quite a video game. It's somewhere in between those. I would say it feels more like a video game than it does a ride, although. Uh, depending on your pilot, it can be very much, a very bumpy experience. Um, but before I, I talk about the ride itself, I want to talk about the queue because the queue is just incredible. They have that Hondo Anaka uh, audio animatronic figure, which is one of the best I've ever seen from Disney. Um, there the this ride gets to put you inside the Millennium Falcon. By the way, when you're in Batuu, you the the thing at the very end, like while you're coming. through, into Batu and exploring this world. At the very end, you come to this launch pad where the Millennium Falcon is docked and seeing that Falcon, you know, I've seen all the movies. I've seen all the shows. I've seen, I've seen everything. Nothing can describe how massive this thing looks in person. If when you see it in person, it's just so amazing. And this ride gets to, you get to be put inside the Millennium Falcon. Like they've never actually built a life-size Millennium Falcon in full. And uh, Doug Chang, the guy that designs all the ships and stuff like that, um, this is – said this is the definitive Millennium Falcon. So if you – if they're going to show parts of the Millennium Falcon uh, in future movies and stuff, it's going to be all based on the design of the ship that is in Disneyland. And uh, you get to explore the – basically you're given a role and then you're given probably like five, ten minutes to kind of hang out inside the main cargo area of – the Millennium Falcon, you get to, like, you know, go over and take photos at the hollow chest board. Every once in a while, like, there'll be alarms that go off and require, you know, buttons to be pressed and stuff like that. Um, there's so many, like, little Easter eggs. There's pork nests everywhere. You might even be able to hear a porg inside a, inside a uh, crate. Um, there's... The detailing is just amazing, and I've been in there, I want to say, like, probably six or seven times now, and... It never gets old. It really does not get old. Being in there, I I have a smile on on my face that is like from, you know, chin to chin. I mean, to uh, what are you going to say? Not chin to chin. Uh, Uh, Cheek to cheek. Cheek to cheek, (laughs) yes. Uh, And it's just, I don't know, it's just so cool. It's so cool. And then you get, basically, you get put into three different categories. So you either are a pilot, you're a gunner, or you're the engineer, so there's six seats in the Falcon. Normally, there's only four, but I guess Chewie has updated it, so there can be six seats. And you get to either be one of the pilots, which one controls the up and down, one controls the left and right. The gunners, one controls the left, one co- controls the right. And uh, you can pick either automatic or manual. So automatic's for you know younger kids, manual's for people like you jacob who have played video games and um then there's the engineers who are in the back seats and basically when the ship's taking damage there's all these buttons that light up that you have to press to to fix the damage and also there's a mission that we're on to retrieve something and the engineers are you know instrumental in that as well but uh i think the best position to be in here is the pilot because you're close up to the window you feel like you're most involved here because you're like actually moving the ride you can't as far as i know you can't crash the millennium falcon but you can damage it a lot um <laughs> and uh i've been in some ships that have been very damaged, and it's pretty cool too because when you're leaving the Millennium falcon depending on how much you damage the ship like there could be like lighting effects and sparks and it, it the hallway you leave like feels like the result of your journey if that makes sense it does Here's here's my
2: question. I feel like, I think you mentioned this in your written coverage on the site. Uh, This feels like a ride that requires a lot of communication to be fun, a lot of shouting and screaming and like, pull up, pull up, shoot that, shoot that. This sounds like something that you really want to do with people you know, right?
1: Yes, I think this is the best experience when you are doing it with a group of six people. You know, if you're going to Disneyland, uh, as I typically do with my girlfriend, and I'm in a group of, like, you know, I'm we're the two people out, in a gr- and there's a group of four there. I feel like it's going to feel weird. Like, you need communication. Like, uh, for the gunner role, uh, you, in manual mode, you're shooting either, like, up, uh, middle, or down on your side, if that makes sense. And you really need communication between you and the pilot for for that to actually work out when you're trying to shoot tie fighters and stuff like that um so communication is key you can watch our i did a whole video on my first uh the first visit uh which I'll link in the show notes it's uh, our first visit to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge and I showed the whole ride in that video so if you want to take a look at that i'm i'm not sure if it makes much sense uh it, there's just so much going on but um but it, it, it's crazy. People are yelling at each other. Um, the, my only complaint is the engineer's uh, cool role. You're fixing stuff, but you're you're having to look at either the left or the right side of the the cabin, uh, the cockpit. So you're pressing buttons and you're missing out on a lot a lot of what's going on on screen on the ride. So some people, I think, are probably not going to like being engineer as much. I think the gunner and the pilot are more exciting.
2: Yeah, this sounds really cool because the closest thing I can think of in comparison is Mission Space at Epcot at Disney World, but at Mission Space you're you know you're on a Mission to Mars, and it's a cool ride. It's a little dated now, but it, there's a pilot role, you know, engineer role, and so on. But if you miss your cues, the ride doesn't change. The ride's still the same. It's, it, it is the illusion of interactivity, whereas this sounds like it actually. Is responding to you and that feels very cool
1: you are controlling the movement if you're the pilot there's actually been some tweets and uh, complaints that like if someone wanted to if someone was an asshole and they wanted to and they were the pilot they could make you motion sick by just you know yanking <laughs> that thing up and down or whatever you know the the stick um, but there's nothing cooler than being the the, the right hand pilot and when you're supposed to jump to light speed, you know, grabbing that lever and pushing it up and the, the the whole cockpit, like, you know, leaning back and you jump to light, you know, you are in the movie. It's just it's so great. And it should be said, after this mission, you get some credits of some kind, depending on, you know, how well you did and how much damage there was to the Falcon that they had to repair and all that. They um, you will get some some credits. And I, I I'm still not sure how this works and what this is for, but there's, there's whole Disneyland play app that connects to this world. Your phone turns into a data pad within the star Wars galaxy. And I'm not sure how it works. I, I was skeptical that this would even work, but after you ride this ride, the credits just appear on your phone. Like there's some kind of Bluetooth technology of the future that somehow you get rewarded on your phone with the credits, what you do with those credits. I don't know, but um, we're going to have to explore more of the data pad functionality. There's, I should say that I've been in this land four times now, and I don't think I've done everything.
2: Yeah, it's it's, it's hilarious because you went to an early uh, uh, cast member preview with a friend, and then you went to a press day, and then you booked hotel uh, a Disneyland <laughs> hotel to spend more time there on your free time with your girlfriend and your friends. Yeah. And I, I think that's amazing. You 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 just you know you were you were so worried a few months ago about being able to cover it and then you end up spending 4 days there. It's incredible.
1: Yeah, t- to be fair, I didn't know that Disneyland was going to invite me as press to a press day and I didn't know that my cast member friend would invite me to an early cast member day as well. So I thought booking the hotel with my friends, who were the people I wanted to experience this with the most anyways. Um, I thought that was going to be the way it, it, to experience this. So, so I've been lucky to experience this more than I think most people have so far. But I, I can tell you, I even even, you know, dip my feet into the data pad functionality. There's so much you can do with the data pad. There's missions you can go on. You can scan crates. You can translate Arabesh around the world. And there's like basically a whole like RPG kind of functionality to this world that I have not quite explored and I've I've also been told that if you do bad on the Falcon I have not experienced this myself that the cast members that are around Batu will actually know that you like banged up the Falcon and they could actually use that as in in their like in world you know interactions with you you could be like oh I heard you you know crash the Falcon or you know like that kind of thing so I'm not sure how that works are they like do they have a Bluetooth scanner that sees that how you well you did on on the ride? I'm not sure.
2: So we really need to move on to other areas this lamb. The one other yeah. thing I want to mention real quickly from your video, and I love this, is it's, when you first enter this area, you see the big million falcon life-size in front of you. And the queue for the ride takes you around the back, then it takes you up above it. So it's literally Disney Imagineers kind of showing off, saying, You're gonna to get to see every single angle of this life-size falcon. You're gonna get to see every single possible photo photo shoot. You were, you, there's no cheating here. The whole thing is here, and you have to go through the whole line in order to appreciate that everything is there. That to me is just like, a, like them dropping a gauntlet, saying, "There's no trickery here. Take, go to any angle, it's there."
1: Yeah. If you want to see the Falcon from above, you'll see it from above. If you want to see it from below, you'll see it from below. It, th- there's steam, you know, sp- spitting out of the bottom of the Falcon. There's I've I've been told that sometimes you can see Chewbacca like, a, you know, a character actor in Chewbacca's outfit uh, actually fixing the Falcon from below. I have not seen that yet. Um, but, yeah, it, it's incredible. All right. So there
2: are a number of shops, but I want to talk about one in particular because this is the one that I feel like people are having a strong emotional reaction to. And that is the lightsaber shop, or I'm sorry, the, uh, the junk shop. It's themed as a junk shop where you can go secretly build a lightsaber out of recovered parts. And of course, they're not advertising this because they're hiding from the First Order and cast members try to encourage that, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge uh, approach when you're outside. <laughs> but it's $200 to build this what looks to be like a really really beautiful light tape replica and it's very clearly um Disney's attempt to um match the Ollivander's wand shop at, at Harry Potter land in Universal where there's a whole show where you go th- where you can go through and you know someone gets picked by their wand and you get to go buy a wand and it's meant to be like you know wish fulfillment whereas here you're Takes a step further. You're you're building your lightsaber. You're part of a ceremony. You are picking your pieces and your colors. And your new Twitter avatar is you with your brand new green lightsaber, Peter. So (laughs) I, I need to know, what is this experience like? And was it worth that money?
1: I will say this, Jacob. I was... Hesitant on doing this, not because I didn't want my own lightsaber, but you know, I, I'm I was considering buying like you know they sell legacy lightsabers there of like the lightsabers from the film, and I was like, do I really need my own lightsaber? And like, I'm, I'm sure the experience is cool. I like all the vendors, um, but uh, I went and did it, and it's you know 250 after tax and stuff, and you basically get brought into this workshop. It's Savi's workshop, and. These people inside there helped you scavenge through, like, lightsaber parts and build a lightsaber, and I was not expecting to have such an emotional response to this experience. It's like a 20-minute experience, and I almost want to call it a religious, like, experience. It's you are there with a group a small group you can bring one extra person in with you so you can bring your like significant other with you and it's probably like 12 or 15 people and they're building lightsabers and at the end there's a moment where you the blade is lit up and revealed and you all lift the lightsaber up and you feel like you're at one with everybody else in that in that little shop or that little experience and it like they're they're using the star wars music and cues from john williams and there's there's even some voiceover from some famous star wars actors just for this experience it's so good i got it on tape and i'm gonna we're gonna i'm gonna have it online a video of this online probably sometime this week it's it if you have any doubts of Doing this, you should do it. It, It's amazing. You get to pick your Kyber crystal. You get to pick whatever color you want. You get to pick like all the different parts. I think there's like 500 different combinations of parts that you can actually put together to build a lightsaber. So after we got out, we took photos of. I was there with a group of nine people, and I think six of us got lightsabers. Not one of the six looked like another one of the six. Like they all looked completely different. My lightsaber. Is more of it's, it's part of the elemental series, so it has a rancor tooth on the bottom. It, it feels more natural and it feels unlike anything I've seen in Star Wars. And the cool part is when you insert the blade, which comes included with that $200, uh, it turns whatever color that the kyber crystal is, which is which is pretty cool. And, um, yeah, it's just it's I was walking around, you know, I, I got that on opening day. And for the next, uh, the, the, uh, the day fall of that day and the day that followed, I, you know, I bought a lightsaber clip for my uh, belt and I was walking around the land with the lightsaber on my hip, uh, along with my friends, which I know this sounds either super sad or super awesome to you, no matter, you know, what viewpoint you're coming from. It, uh, it's just such a cool experience and yeah, it was just awesome.
2: Man, uh, two hundred dollars is, is a big cost. That sound, you know, when you go on a theme park vacation, you 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 know what you're getting into money wise. And when I hit up Galaxy's Edge, whether it's at Disneyland or the Disney World version, you know, later this year, I'm going to save up for this because this sounds like a pro- like something that sounds like profoundly fun and profoundly something that I've always wanted. to do even though it's you know a whole show it's disney wanting your money but they're but they're earning your money i think through showmanship and quality
1: and and to me it's not just a custom lightsaber to me it's on my shelf now it's on a stand and to me it's like the memory of having that day with my friends in batu it's a really special thing i feel like
2: yeah the other uh high-end build uh an object store is the droid shop and i don't (laughs) know i don't know if you did this but for I, i know i saw a video um where i saw the whole process done But for ninety nine dollars, I think it was, you go to to a conveyor belt with the cast members' assistance. You scavenge droid parts and assemble
1: them, and you can build a remote control droid. Did you do this? I did not do that. I'm, I'm planning on – I have a couple more reservations coming up uh, because we went crazy. Uh I I am planning on doing this and doing it on video and getting it. Uh, I, I, I watched some people do it, and it looks cool. It's like people are grabbing these droid parts off of these conveyor belts and putting them together. And this shop is incredible. It's just themed with all these, like, parts of droids that we know from the Star Wars uni- universe, parts of droids we've never seen before. Actually, in this droid shop – talk about saving your money, Jacob – you can buy a $25,000 R2 droid, custom painted in any way you want it to be. No discounts apply. No cast member, no annual pass discounts. Uh, it's a, a custom remote-controlled droid. Basically, it it, it is. It, if you can't own one of the droids, that it is actually in the movie. This is the next best thing. And this is probably the most expensive thing I think that's probably ever been sold in Disneyland. It's pretty crazy.
2: Yeah, I, I, it's a, a little rich for my blood, Peter, um, but <laughs> I, I love the offer that. I love that at the very least there's this replica version you can go take a picture with at the very least. Yeah. My, my yeah, question
1: well, is how many people do you think a year are going to end up actually buying one? That's a good question. I mean, like at Disney World, you can rent a
2: yacht for like $500 an hour. So Disney knows they have, they have, they have rich fans. So I my guess is they'll sell a couple.
1: Yeah, and I, I should mention that they, they sell a lot, like $200 – Sounds like a lot for a lightsaber. There, You could buy a full Stormtrooper outfit for like $6,700 or something in one of the stores. There's life-size, you know, you can buy Kylo Ren's helmet for I think like $600. So there's, for the collectors out there, there's a lot of money you could waste. Well,
2: those two are the uh, big like experience shop. I know there's like a lot of other shops. There's like a, there's first order cargo there's a resistance supply outpost, like it was well themed yeah. with their respective ones. And the one that I'm most interested in is there's an antique store full of very, very specific like objects that are that are like really cool collectibles and that are meant to resemble like actual found objects across Star Wars universe, where other shops stood out to you. Like how much money should I bring, Peter?
1: <laughs> bring bring it all, Jacob. Bring it all. Uh Doc Ongar's Den of Antiquities, I think, is probably the coolest store. Um it is filled with this is like an antique shop in the Star Wars universe, and it's uh, probably like three or four stories tall. And it's just the walls are filled with relics from a galaxy far, far away. So every possible, like, there's a life-size stuffed Wampa. There's helmets, every kind of stormtrooper helmet. There's probably, I, I would venture to say, probably five hundred to a thousand props in there. Like, I-, I don't know that number's true, but. There are so many cool easter eggs. If you look carefully, you can find Indiana Jones, uh the the Ark of the Covenant somewhere in there. I actually saw <laughs> That's it. amazing. Yeah, and um it, it's incredible and the store is for collectible collectors. You can buy things I never thought that Star like they are catering to niche Star Wars fans. Like you can buy a Jedi Temple Guard helmet and lightsaber. Like th- this is like who's gonna want that? That's something that's only been seen like what in the comics and then the animated series. Uh, you can buy um, Yoda's illuminator, the little like thing that Yoda used in his hut uh, hut to illuminate uh, to illuminate the the hut. There's um, you mentioned the Resistance uh, uh, store over there at those carts. You can buy the Resistance MRE kit, which is like this ki- this kit that has all these snacks and candies in it. But, and I was making fun of it at first, and then I realized that this kit is the kit we see in Empire Strikes Back that Luke is actually eating out of. It's the Rebels MRE kit that they have faithfully faithfully reproduced for this land. It's like a thing that's in the movie for, you know, less than a second. And, so, you know, people, I guess some Star Wars fans are going to want this, right?
2: Yeah, at, at the very least, they can, like, keep in your massive collection of things or if you're a kid actually use it for its intended purpose uh i will admit looking at videos the one thing i found disappointing about the shopping is that for everything that feels like in universe there's like like uh, keychains and pins and like more standard you know theme park merchandise it kind of took me out of it a little bit did you feel that way or am i just being obnoxious
1: it's tough there are Walking a fine line, because everything in here is supposed to be in-universe. There's not gonna, there's not anything you find in here that has the Star Wars logo or says Galaxy's Edge. There's a store where you can buy, like, postcards from Batuu or Black Spire Outpost, which is this little town that you're in. Uh, and that, that makes sense. Like, if you go to any town, there's a touristy store. Um, but I know what you're talking about. There's, like, you know, stuff you can buy of, like, the Millennium Falcon. And it's like, would they really be... You know, would you really be able to buy a, like, small Millennium Falcon in this, you know, if you were actually in this world? No. Would you be able to buy a, you know, Boba Fett toy? Probably not. But a lot of it is pretty cool. A lot of it is in-universe. The one thing I do want to mention uh, for shopping is the Creature Stall. And this is a store that's filled with Star Wars creatures. And you can basically adopt and take home anything from a porg to a wart to... uh any Star Wars creature you can think of, and they uh, even a Quokian, uh monkey lizard like the uh, Salacious Crumb uh, that one sits on your shoulder, kind of like the banshees at Pandora, and you can puppet tear it. Um, the porg, like, well, talk and flap its wings. The, uh, the you can get a loft cat, which is from Star Wars Rebels, and that one I, I was so amazed at because you can uh pull its tail and its eyebrows will get it'll get mad at you and then you can uh pet its head and it will calm down like every one of these like toys they're not just plush toys i like I, i'm sure like if you just saw photos of them they would just look like plush toys every single one of them does something cool in its own strange unique way
2: oh that sounds really cool and there's also the toydarian toy shop which has all the in universe toys, like things look like action figures that were actually made in universe, right?
1: Yeah, a lot of like plush and wooden uh, created things. Like, so you can you can buy a wooden stormtrooper doll, like the one we saw Jen Urso had in Rogue One. You can buy uh, Sabacc. You can actually buy the cards in Sabacc. Uh, you can buy uh, even chance cubes that we saw in what Phantom Menace. So uh, there, there's a lot that you can buy. There's too much you can buy. I I, I don't I don't even want to. Look at my credit card statement of what I spent over the last <laughs> week, but uh, I, I I spent a lot.
2: So let's, let's move on from the shopping to the food. Uh, let's not talk about blue milk. I want to talk about I want to have our own conversation about blue milk in a second. So let's talk about everything else, and that includes um uh the the main uh quick service restaurant. It's a
1: cargo um yeah it's docking bay uh, seven yeah uh, food and cargo yeah and, so how how is that uh it's very good. There's it, all the food there is, I mean, it's variations on food we have on earth, obviously, but it feels otherworldly. Um, the one I like the most is the kadu ribs, which is like a, a normal, like, baby back rib kind of rack kind of ribs, but it has like the sweet and spicy sauce on it. And it comes on top of this cabbage and also this, uh, Blueberry corn muffin, and it looks very otherworldly. The desserts there look like the stuff that they sell at uh, Pandora. Um, They have all sorts of interesting drinks and stuff. Um, They actually, you you were eating in this, like you know, this docking bay. It feels it's everything's so themed and so cool. Uh, They have these. I, I feel, I feel like I'm gonna get mocked for this, but when they they have. Space sporks, okay? It's like these metal Star Wars sporks that feel like they've been in this universe for hundreds of years, and, uh... When they opened, they were just at the like the area where you pick up your condiments and napkins and stuff. And I guess too many people were stealing them, so they've actually put them behind the counter and are only giving you one per meal or something like that, uh, to pre- prevent people from stealing them. But uh, <laughs> so uh, yeah, but people are sell- selling these sporks online on eBay for like thirty bucks each. Wow.
2: Uh, so there's also uh, Oga's Cantina, which sounds to me like the place to go. Is it's you know just this very intimate place to get drunk at Disneyland and, and Rex from the original star tours is your DJ there, right?
1: Yeah, no, there's everybody that's ever wanted to step inside the world of, of star Wars just wanted to step inside the cantina. And this feels like a star Wars cantina without the droids and without the creatures. And I think that's my one complaint about not only the cantina, but this land as a whole that, you know, the, the inhabitants of uh, of Batuu, and I know we'll talk about that later, all seem to be like young white people from Southern California <laughs> um, because they are. But, um, you know, there doesn't seem to be older grizzled people. There doesn't seem to be aliens. There doesn't seem to be droids. But this cantina is, by the way, it's one one of the biggest weights in all of the land. Uh, cast members are uh, calling it the third attraction, even though it isn't. Of the land, and um, it, Rex is in the corner, you know, playing intergalactic beats, stuff that sounds like the Cantina Band from uh, uh, New Hope and stuff like that. Uh, remixes of, and, and stuff like that, and uh, Paul Rubens reprises his role uh, with Rex's voice. It, it's it's all amazing. The drinks there are all very good. Uh, there are with everything else there's expensive options here Jacob there there is drinks that you can buy in a, a porg uh ceramic, ceramic um, mug there's an endorian ewok uh tiki mug and there's even a beer flight cuz they have four different beers there that you can buy in this beer flight that the beers are are served in rancor teeth so it's it's this thing that you buy for $75 and you get to take home Uh, and, uh, some of my, uh, my whole crew, we had nine people, we went to the cantina and I think we spent like $550 for the grand total of our, our our trip. Yeah. And you only get 45 minutes in there and there's a true drink maximum per person with an ID in there. So, uh, it's, uh, drinks range are about 15 bucks each, I'd say, if you're not getting a souvenir option. And, uh, there isn't much in terms of snacks there, but there is something called Oga's Obsession. Oga is the person who runs the cantina. You don't see her, but you hear her over the intercom from time to time. And um, her obsession is like this pe- – it's served in like this uh, petri dish. And it's like jello with boba balls and some dried fruit and pop rocks on top. And I know that doesn't sound like it's going to be good, but it was amazing.
2: Oh, wow. Uh, but for other – like if you're like on the go, there's Ronto's Roasters, I believe it's called, which is – yeah. The outdoor grill, where the grill itself is an old pod racer engine, which is steaming that I adore.
1: <laughs> yeah, and the torture dread is, is the one cranking the, the alien creatures, roasting them in the pod racing engine. Uh, the main thing there is the Ronto Wrap, which is basically like an elevated hot dog, is what I'd call it. It's served in a pita. It has some... Uh, some other stuff in there. There's some slaw and stuff. It, it, it tastes amazing. It's probably a little overpriced. Everything's overpriced. It's a theme park. Uh, but I it's it's probably one of the best things I had in all of there. They, they also have, like, some beef jerky options, which I know for you and me, Jacob, uh, the people on Keto might be a good option. But I tried some of it. Tasted dry. And it feels like one of those things that, like, they thought would be a good idea because it looks alien and weird to serve beef jerky. Like, these big slabs of beef jerky but um i have the feeling it's not going to last long
2: yeah uh so let's go ahead and move on to the, the the controversial thing here and that's the blue and green milk and i feel like for people who aren't theme park fans we need to establish what disney's goal here is and that is when the wizarding world of harry potter opened universal to introduce butterbeer which you know was from the world of harry potter people always want to try butterbeer what does that taste like and you cannot it, it became such a massive hit. It makes so much money for Universal. They have sold millions upon millions of cups of butterbeer. It's so much that they've raised the prices and people don't care. It's now regular version, frozen version, warm version. Yeah. And clearly with blue milk uh, and green milk, you know, uh, borrowed from the Star Wars universe. This is Disney trying to do butterbeer. So the question is, for me to you, Peter, is blue milk the new butterbeer?
1: Unfortunately, no. And this is something I've wanted to try ever since I saw A New Hope, uh, the blue milk. Uh, it has kind of like, I want to say a berry taste to it, although I've been, des- it's been described as other things like watermelon. I don't know. It, it, different people describe different tastes to it. But it's this creamy. It's made out of the coconut and rice milks. Uh, it's not made out of – so it's non-dairy. Um, it is – the f- frozen one is better than the non-frozen one that they serve in the cantina, uh, and it's—I don't know—it's not bad, Jacob. It's just—it's not butter beer. Do you know what I mean? It, it, it kind of like the taste of, and they serve it in a small glass. It's eight bucks, and it comes in this like really small cup. And I feel like you will you don't want to have more than that small cup of the butter uh, of, of of the the milk. And they—they they also serve the green milk, which we saw Luke Skywalker drink. On Octu in Star Wars Last Jedi, it looks a little bit yellow and not really green there, um, and that has more of a citrusy uh, taste. It has like a flower or hibiscus like aftertaste. I'm not sure which one I like more, and I'm not sure I would ever buy either of them again.
2: Oh that's the roughest thing Disney could possibly yeah. hear honestly because like you mentioned to me earlier uh before we were recording that you you can't visit Wizarding World of Harry Potter without getting butterbeer you like when you go in there it's like yeah. I need I cannot leave without getting a glass of butterbeer and here is their signature drink and you don't want it again that feels like in a land where so much feels right that feels like, like like not a disaster by any means but it's not going to be the massive sensation that universal has over there. Yeah.
1: I mean, I think it'll be a sensation for the first year because everybody's going to want to get an Instagram photo with the blue milk. But, um, I don't know. I, I feel like Disney has their customer satisfaction surveys and I think people are going to be voting down on this one. So let's talk about the people in
2: Batu. You mentioned earlier that you wish there was more aliens and people of more ages and variety instead of, you know, uh, young minimum wage Disneyland <laughs> <sea> employees. <laughs> yeah. But um, a lot of hype was made about how they're they're going to be acting like they're in character, like they're citizens of Batuu, Like, And so I'm curious about how they walk the line between having to actually function as an employee, you know, take your money out of a, a cashier, register, you know, make sure that you, you know the rules of, of the ride and enforce, and, and you know, restrictions while also acting like they're citizens of an alien world, does it work?
1: It does and doesn't. Um, I will say that uh, you know they have their own vocabulary on Batu. So while you're arriving there in morning, you'll hear the citizens telling you "bright suns," which means good morning. Uh, you know, there's there's a whole list of vocabulary words you can learn on online before going taking your trip there. And um, if I think it works. It works as much as you want it to work. Do you know what I mean? As much as you want to put the effort in, they're going to put the effort out. You, like I've had some very interesting in in world conversations uh, with the citizens of Batu, and I've had also ones that were like felt like, uh, oh, this is just a replica of Luke's. You know, like 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 that didn't feel like we were talking to someone from Batu at all. Um, it it also poses a problem because. You sometimes ask questions and you need to kind of uh, – it's a game of trying to get the answer because, you know, like I saw someone asking when the fireworks show was going to be at Disney and they're like, w- we don't know about any – what is fireworks? You know what I mean? Like that and like, oh, and th- then eventually I think the cast member was like, oh, I heard off planet there's some kind of uh, celebration going on at 830.
0: <laughs> you know I mean, like, so, like, so,
1: you got to get to it. You eventually have to work your way to it. It's not as easy to get like answers of some sort. Like, I when I got my lightsaber, I had um my blade. So there was something wrong with the light up ability of the blade, and I had to bring it back to there. And like, uh, there it wasn't like a normal return process. It was like, oh, we'll we'll take the saber. Back to the you know the, to the workers in the back, and they'll take a look at it, and, I, and it was like this whole thing, and they brought back the blade, and it worked again. And like I was like, uh, and the guy was like, they fix, you know, the gatherers fixed it for you. I was like, did they replace the blade? And, and he looked at me weird, he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. They they they, they took it apart and fixed it. <laughs> so it's like, so it's all in world, and um, I, I really think there's to be fun. There's some fun to be had here. The problem is that a lot of these people are minimum wage, you know, people that live in Orange County that don't have acting abilities or improv skills. So, you know, uh your mileage could vary. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, let's talk about the uh characters who are there to do to provide more than just, you know, basic services disguised in a, as like an alien world. The walk around characters in the videos is off stormtroopers I saw Kylo Ren. I even saw one very charming video where Chewbacca was running through the streets like with the help of some visitors uh, shielding him from a stormtrooper patrol. So it was like felt very interactive and fun. He could walk right up to Kylo Ren and he talks to you. And Chewbacca's there, you know, and he's actually reacting to the stormtroopers because, you know, he doesn't want to get caught. And it seemed more up close and personal than a lot of other character encounters. Did you encounter this? Do you think yeah. this would be an ongoing thing?
1: Yeah, this is interesting because uh, in your home planet of Disney World, they do not have character meet and greets outside of, like, the planned ones that you have to stand in la- a queue line for, right? In Disneyland, they have a couple that happen on, like, Main Street and such where, you know, there'll be a cast member with the character and people line up in an or- orderly line to meet a character. But here in Batuu, this is a totally different thing. This is – these characters, Chewbacca, Rey, uh, Kylo Ren, Stormtroopers, uh, Imperial officers – um, Vi, who is this character that's in the books. She's like uh Leia's second in command who sets up the base on Batuu. You can see her running around trying to you know get help from the resistance and stuff like that. Like they're actually actively exploring storylines. Like there's one point I saw Chewbacca trying to fix the X Wing over by the resistance area, and it was this whole kind of like impromptu show kind of experience. Um, but they're like in the land with you. Um You know, it's not about getting photos with them. It's about having meaningful interactions with them. And, uh, you know, Kylo Ren at one point comes out of the TIE fighter and force chokes an Imperial, uh, you know, First Order officer, officer and then goes on a hunt through Batuu with his two First Order stormtroopers looking for a resistance spy. And, you know, he's interrogating all these people. I got interrogated by by Kylo Ren. so it it is a fun experience because it, it feels immersive. Uh, I just wish there was more non main character characters. Do you know what I mean? Like I wish there was just weird aliens walking around and uh, grizzled inhabitants and droids. And I haven't seen that yet. Maybe that's just like you know the second wave of what they're planning. Uh, but um, but so far it, it, it's pretty cool, and I'm wondering. Right now, they're in a phase where you need a reservation to get into the land of Galaxy's Edge. And June 20-something is where the reservations go away. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot more people in this land. I'm wondering how that's going to work with these costume characters just being like out in the open. Because you already see like Chewbacca getting mobbed by people. Do you know what I mean? Like It's it's hard for him to move around.
2: Yeah, that's a nice question. This is my biggest concern. And it's why I'm hesitant to, you know, make a trip right now or make a trip for the universal, I'm sorry, the um Orlando version uh when it opens later
1: this year. Oh because one other thing I want to say, oh. uh, keep on your question, but um I can't imagine this Orlando version. Like there is no shade in Batu. Like it, it is gonna be like bring your sunscreen and your fan you know, your fan and your water because like I was sweating my butt off here in Anaheim. Um, I, I can't imagine what it's going to be like in Orlando.
2: (laughs) Oh, fun, fun, good times. But let's let's talk about, let's talk about when the crowds do come, when the reservation system does stop because you went on, you know, preview days and you went on the first day of the public. Was there noticeable difference between the preview days and the press days? And when those open reservations, did it get more crowded? The lines get worse? And how crazy is it going to get when the reservations stop entirely? Will this be fun to visit when the reservations are over?
1: I don't know. That That's a tough call. It, it's weird because right now the reservation system happens where, um, for instance, if you have a reservation from 11 to, what is that, 12, 1, 2, 3, uh, to 3, right? Um, the first hour and the last hour your reservation is overlapping with the reservations uh, before and after. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you have two hours that all overlap, and then two hours in the middle that are kind of calm because it's just your reservation group. And that two hours, you can get onto the Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run in like you know less than twenty minutes. If you try to go there in the first hour or the last hour, you're lucky if you can get in there, you know in an hour, hour and a half. Like it, like it spikes up. Like it, you really feel the uh, how many people, the masses of people that are in there. Like in those overlap segments, like at, at one point I saw the Droid Depot. To build your own droid, there was like an hour and a half line. Um, when I left the lightsaber experience, this was on opening day, and this is probably unusual. Uh, there was a – at noon, there was a four-hour line for that experience. Um, the cantina always has this line out the door, down the street. Um, I've, I've heard that they've started implementing in – Ways for you can actually put your phone number down and they'll they'll like like call you or text you, so it's not like you have to wait in line. So that's good, but that that wasn't what it was like the first couple of days that I was there, um, and that's definitely not what you can do at a you know Droid Depot. You got to wait in line. Um, so I'm I don't know that that remains to be seen, Jacob. I think I, I'm I'm a little bit worried about this. <laughs> yeah this I, I, nice, I have uh, a bad feeling about
2: this shakeup. up <laughs> well this leads directly to my second question, which doesn't even feel like it needs an answer anymore. I was gonna ask you how desperately does Batu need rise of resistance the second ride and that feels like it sounds like the answer is it needs it immediately. It needs <laughs> this mass capacity like attraction that's meant to like be an hour long experience with with like interactive stuff in the queue and then a full fledged dark ride that's going to eat thousands of people in the queue and have thousands of people go through it per hour. It sounds like Galaxy's Edge needs this to function going forward, right?
1: It, it does, and it, it, I, I've been hearing anything from August to October as being the opening day for that. So, I mean, it's coming; it's going to be coming by the, the end of the year. And, but I will say this: like, even if you only have a reservation for four hours, you cannot do everything in those four hours. Like, it, it is still a big experience. Like, it's still—I've gone, you know—I said four times now, and I have not. Experienced everything that this plan has to offer and one of the rides isn't even open
2: Yeah, so one thing we mentioned earlier is that the theme park Cold War between Disney and Universal. I mean uh, Universal really upped their game with Harry Potter and then Pandora and Star Wars was Disney firing back and now Universal is building another theme park to fire back at them And they have a new Harry Potter roller coaster opening uh, this month So this is just a pure game of speculation Peter But as a theme park fan as somebody who actively Studies this industry and enjoys it more than the average human being. What does Universal do to respond? How does the Cold War escalate? What comes next?
1: Well, we know Universal is building a fourth park in Orlando, so that's happening. And we know that they're planning, you know, Super Nintendo Lands in all of their theme parks. It seems like, uh, so I think that's probably the next big strike. Is, is is that right? Like, Universal has said that they want a new ride or new attraction every year for every one of their parks that, that they have right now. So, you know, here in Hollywood there, they have uh drastic world opening this year, probably secret life of pets opening next year, which, uh, and I'm guessing Nintendo land the year after that. So like, you know, it, it's just, it's going to keep on happening. I, I'm I'm wondering if Disneyland, you know, this is the first major expansion of Disneyland in quite some time, you know, they've, done stuff with dca but this is the you know the biggest land that they've ever built and i'm wondering you know i know that they have plans for the marvel land over in dca so that will probably be the next big thing to happen and then there's rumors that they might redo tomorrowland but I, i don't know like if disney can can maintain the like one new attraction a year like you know time timeline that universal has kind of like Taking the call to,
2: yeah, I feel like the uh, double-edged blade of all, of the Universal versus Disney dynamic is that uh, Disney is very sentimental; it does not like to replace its classics. It likes to like rely on the fact that people want to come back and share an experience with their kids that they had, you know, years ago. Whereas Universal is unsentimental, sometimes to a fault, where there's like saying if it's too dated, tear it down, build something new right away. So I feel like those two mentalities are at war. It's it, and the question is, you know. Where do both companies draw a line? Where does Disney's sentimentality um, collide with Universal's, you know, unsentimentality? You know.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm I'm honestly curious. I know this isn't your question, Jacob, but like, you know, Star Wars: Galaxy's Edge is set between Last Jedi and the Rise of Skywalker. Um, and I'm wondering what happens after Rise of Skywalker. Like, you know, this land has the First Order. It has Kylo Ren. I'm assuming Rise of Skywalker is going to put, you know, the first order is going to be defeated, right? Kyle is either going to be redeemed, killed, or turned to the light side. Like, how how do, how do does this world function? Does it always function as a, you know, a minute in this time period? Like, we've heard rumors that it's going to grow, you know, they'll have seasons, um that it will become new things. Like, how, how do they change that? And I'm, I'm, because, you know, if it was just this land, I could see that. But like, this rise of the resistance ride that hasn't even opened up has a Kylo Ren animatronic in it. It has the, you know, the first order is a big part of that. So how, how do you, do you have any idea how this would grow with the stories?
2: I think it, we stay in the snapshot. I mean, the, the, the period of time between uh, the first star Wars film, a new hope and empire strikes back is always sort of unspecified period of, of years that's become, like, the playground for all kinds of Star Wars stories, video games, comics, novels. They all play around in that time period because it was it's large enough to have unlimited adventures and people always return to that time period because, you know, there's very little time between Empire and Jedi. So I feel like if people keep on going back to that time period as a fertile ground for all kinds of stories, I think this is going to be very comfortable using the, the space of time between Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker uh, as is their playground because we don't know the exact amount of time, but there will be a time jump of some kind. So I feel like in the same way that we're going to see a, so many comics and books of your games set in that, in between those two movies, I think that for the foreseeable future, they are going to be very happy to have stories set in this playground. Yeah.
1: I wonder if a few years down the line, if you know, the crowds were waning, if there's a way to reskin this land for like a year into it being set during the original trilogy. Do you know what I mean? So it. Darth Vader could be on the, you know, walking around with normal stormtroopers and uh, they can maybe reskin the ra- – I'm probably going way too far. That's probably not possible, but I think that would be cool if they could.
2: Yeah, I would be very curious with that too because same thing with uh, with the Harry Potter land. That's set – very specifically in the fourth book, if you actually—sorry—if you're in Hogsmeade, you're during the fourth book, and if you're uh, visiting Diagon Alley, you're during the last book or, or last movie. So it's, it's very strange uh, about how the, spe- the very specific times was set in. I'm, and I'm, I've always wondered. It, it, you're right. This is with both these, will they ever feel the need to update it in any way to reflect something more timeless or to reflect whatever's more popular at the time?
1: Yeah. And uh, all right. Oh, oh, one thing I wanted to say to you is. Um... You talked about the music earlier. Uh, I want to talk about the sound because this is the first theme park land that I think has Dolby Atmos. There's points where you're walking through this land that you hear spaceships fly from your left overhead and to your right. Like, And I could swear that, especially at nighttime when you can't see anything above you, that there's actual spaceships like flying above you. It, it is like you feel like you are there.
2: Oh, so the next step's got to be a Pepper's Ghost projection effect to somehow project spaceships above you.
1: <laughs> well, I think they could accomplish that in in practical world with drones. Like, they could actually have drone TIE Fighters, and, like, maybe they would have a, a show, like a nighttime show, where, like, there's X-Wings and drone uh, and TIE Fighters fighting each other, and you have these lasers shooting and, you know, firework explosions.
2: Oh, that sounds so cool. We, yeah. we could, Fingers crossed. Um So here's my next big question, which is you always hear about how an ambitious theme park restaurant will open, raves from, you know, theme park aficionados, raves from people who value unique experiences, or like, you know, a ride with all the bells and whistles working. And after a few years and all the customer surveys, you know, people say, I don't want this unique food. I want chicken fingers and nachos. Or, you know, a ride stops being as popular as they stop maintaining every little tiny detail. And they start saying what's acceptable to lose and what's not. So having eaten a weird food here, a style like alien food, and it was really out there. Having ridden Smuggler's Run, which is so full of detail, how long does this last? How long does it the, the, will be until, you know, the restaurant stops serving alien food and just says, "Here's a burger." I mean, hopefully it won't happen, but it's, it's, it's always on the edge of my mind now.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like I said, the the sporks made it two days, so I don't. Uh, I'm wondering that myself because there's some of these items that. Don't look appealing to I, I feel like mainstream American like do you know what I mean like general population people like uh, non-adventurous eaters, yeah yeah.
2: Like that's my main worry is that um I'm actually doing a f- for work a Disney World trip later this week. Uh, we will put more of that in future podcast. But I'm like making a list of restaurants I want to go to because you know I don't know what's gonna be on the menu when I'm there again. Like I want to make sure I try the weird stuff. Like I know Skipper Canteen at Adventureland. Apparently it's been changing up the menu because people were kind of opposed to its super international flavors, and I want to be there before it's chicken fingers, you know? Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about what you don't like. I know that's, that's we've been raving for over an hour, for like an over an hour now. <laughs> it's clear this place is great. It's clear for a Star Wars fan, especially, it's awesome. But let's get negative, Peter. Let's let's open up that little bag and talk about what you don't like, what can be improved, and what are your what do you what do you want to nitpick?
1: Okay, my net picks are this. Um, I feel like the Millennium Falcon ride is a bit of a video game, and it feels like that. It feels um, less of a ride. It, it does feel like they've started ramping up the movement in that a little bit more after there has been some guest complaint. I I, I could be wrong there. I'm, I'm just speculating from my first ride to my last. It feels a little bit more bumpier, um, but I feel like this is not the each ticket attraction that everybody, like, is looking for. I feel like, especially after, you know, you getting to hang out in the Millennium Falcon before you actually go into the the cockpit for the ride, like that experience, it, it's almost downhill a little bit. Uh, not to make it sound bad, but uh, it, it's a good ride. It's not a great ride. Um, the walk around characters, I really think that there needs to be more immersion. There needs to be more uh, storylines going on. There needs to be loops like, you know, in the world of Westworld, like there needs to be like actual, things happening on like a four hour loop or something of like stories you could follow almost like um, what's that uh play in New York where you go into the, the apartment building and you follow around people asleep no more. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I, I know, I know that I've talked about this um, goodness uh, a year over a year ago at South by Southwest, they had a Westworld installation where they built a uh, ghost town and had it full of actors playing, you know, Westworld inhabitants, and they were literally on a time loop, and you could follow a character around as he f- literally went through a storyline, meeting people, getting drunk, um, getting angry at somebody, fighting them, killing them, and you could, like, just immerse yourself and just sit there on a porch and watch things happen in front of you, or you could literally, like, investigate and follow plot lines, and it was just a bunch of actors who would interact with you and talk to you and, and, re- and react to you, but they were actively engaged in storylines, and it You'd have to like watch the loop multiple times. It was like a you know a two hour loop in order to like get all the nuance, understand who is who and what, what and what. And that was you know just a, a pop up installation. I feel like what you're saying here is Disney needs to take this to the next level.
1: Yeah, and also on that on that point, there is a store where you can buy clothes. You can buy Jedi robes. You can buy Rey's uh, what, what her, her outfit. You can buy you know Emperor's gear. You, you can buy whatever. In the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, you can buy your house robes and wear it around the the land. They encourage that. Here, they the costume policy for I think adults, which I think is like fourteen and up, um, is that you can't wear costumes. You can Disney bound, which is like clothes inspired by characters and stuff like that, but you can't wear actual costumes. And I feel like that's a a real downside. I, I know Disney doesn't want. People to be mis- mistake park guests to be mistaken as characters in this world played by cast members. They want to differentiate that and not be any confusion. I think you could accomplish that with a pin. And I don't feel like there's ever been a time in the history of the Wizarding World of Harry Potter that someone wearing a house robe has been confused as someone who works for the park. Right. Like, it, Like yeah. it seems a little bit ridiculous. I will say this. You're also not supposed to have your lightsabers out and stuff. And from what I saw, there was people actually walking around with Jedi robes, and there were people like myself that actually took photos with their lightsabers out and stuff like that. Um, So I'm guessing this is still a rule that Disney has, but I think they're considering dropping it for Star Wars?
2: They they have to. If you're going
1: to spend $200 on a
2: lightsaber, $100 on robes, or however much your robes cost, you're... You're not going to wear those at home. You want to be in the world with photo ops. You want to be dressed in a Jedi robe, carrying your lightsaber and front of the Falcon for a photograph. You want to do a whole photo shoot. That's what what you're spending the money on. You're spending the money for an immersion factor. And that's why people literally go to the Harry Potter world, buy all their robes and their school supplies. They literally buy pens and paper and then go do the Harry Potter stuff because they want to feel like they're going to Hogwarts. And I feel like there has to be a way to look for the name tag. Encourage people to look for the name tag. Because if they're not wearing a name tag, they're not they're not an employee, you know, or a cast member. I, I just feel like telling people, yeah, you can buy this extremely expensive thing and then just put it away and not use it while you're in Batuu, that's so dumb. I it, really that's they need to
1: change. It's really dumb. And my my last thing to complain about is the small spaces that they created. I, I, I refuse to believe that they didn't see that everybody going to Galaxy's Edge would want to visit the Star Wars Cantina, right? Like this place fits I think it's, like, around 250 people. I think they keep it to about 200 to make it a little bit more comfortable. Um, And I know that they want to keep a Star Wars cantina this small, intimate place. You don't want to make it too big or it doesn't feel like a a cantina. But I feel like there's a way to do this where you actually had, like, you know, two or three cantinas in one entrance, and you don't know, actually, which cantina you're going into. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's a uh, door that switches. Um, Yeah. And also with this lightsaber experience i i mean i'm not sure how popular this is going to be after you know the opening week but right now there's lines of four hours waiting to do this lightsaber experience like you can only do like something like 15 at a time and that's 20 minutes so what is that like 15 times three is 45 an hour like that that's I mean, I, I could be wrong with my math. I don't I don't actually have the numbers in front of me. But it seems like way too little. They should have multiple rooms. They should have built this out to accommodate, like, knowing that people are going to want to do those experiences. There's just going to be really long lines. And if you're not going to do long lines, do reservations. At least allow yeah. people to book ahead and, like, make a reservation in the cantina or make a reservation at Savvy's. Do you know what I mean?
2: Yeah, they should have stolen from Universal. Because Universal had kind of the same problem with when the Open Hogs made the first Wizarding World section. In 2009, and 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 they had one room for the um for Ollivanders, the wand shop with has you know it's a little miniature show followed by shopping for your wand and the lines were hours long they underestimated it so when they opened you know another Ollivanders shop in Diagon Alley, they made it so like when you walked in, there were three rooms so they can have triple the number of people go through at a time. And, you know, Disney Universe was spying on each other. You know, there are Universal employees there on day one at, at, at Galaxy's Edge seeing what they're doing so they can steal from it. Okay, that's, that's how this industry works. So um, it baffles me that Disney did not see what they did with Diagon Alley and steal that because they, they had to have known that that was going to be a problem.
1: Yeah. No, I, I think they knew it was going to be a problem. This, this is There's a lot of, I mean, even the shade thing I mentioned, like, is a problem in Anaheim. And this isn't like a land where you can just, like, put up, you know, umbrellas. Because, you know, umbrellas don't exist in the Star Wars universe. So uh, I I do want to send people to the video I did. I'm doing more videos. So if you're excited for Galaxy's Edge, we have some more videos coming on Ordinary Adventures. That's the YouTube channel that I'm doing with my girlfriend, Ketra, where we go to theme parks. Uh, But you can see in there, like, uh, a lot of what we're talking about and it's actually kind of cool because like we got to go on the opening – we got to go on the press day, which there was a lot of celebrities around. So you can actually see like Ben Schwartz and some other celebrities in the background having fun in this land. And uh, on the opening day when we went, going into this land it was just an emotional experience because when they opened the gates, the Imagineers that helped build and create this land were on either side of the pathway just clapping – giving people high fives. It, it, it was just a really cool experience. And uh, that, that video isn't up yet, but it's going to be up uh, this week.
2: And uh, seeing footage of uh, legendary imagineer Tony Baxter just enjoying Star Wars Land was better than any like movie star. Like, I, If I could interview anybody who's <laughs> at Star Wars Land, it would be Tony Baxter. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. The only reason I didn't get my photo with him before is because I've gotten... Uh, uh, then was because I got a, my photo with him two times prior. So um, I, I was standing in line behind Drew Struzan in the uh, the toy shop. And I w- I wasn't sure it was him. And I was like, Drew? And he turns around. I was like, oh, my God. I'm such a huge fan. And he's like, of course you are. You recognized me. You wouldn't have recognized <laughs> me if you weren't a fan. <laughs> I, th- which I thought that was funny. Um, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, it was very cool. All
2: right. So, let's wrap this wraps up. One more question, Peter. This is, this is a big one. The one, actually, that I need to know, which is, do we book a trip now or do we wait till Rise of the Resistance is open? Because you're... You live in L.A. You have a season pass Disneyland. You can pop over to Disneyland whenever you want, but I need to travel from from Texas. I need to fly to Florida or I need to fly to California to do this. Is it worth it right now for a vacation, or should I wait those extra months until Rise of Resistance is open? Like, wh- what should I do?
1: Well, I should note, until June 20-something, all reservations, I think, are sold out unless you have a Disneyland hotel. So you can't come right now. Um, but at that point, then they're going to open it up in Disneyland to – you show up to the park early and you kind of get a fast pass to the land. So you get a reservation to the land on that day. Um, and Disney world is opening up later this year. When is that? Do we know? October? I November? feel like August, August. Okay. Um, I don't have the information in front of me, but, um, okay. So your question is, should you come after that reservation period is open, uh, in July, should you come to Disneyland to experience this? I, I mean, I wouldn't plan a vacation just because of that. I would wait until Rise of the Resistance is open, but if you're going to be here, th- there is enough here. Like, there is, this is a a full experience, even though it isn't a full experience, if that makes sense. Um, I, I, I do think, you know, with Four hours in that land, you're you're gonna not a not experience at all. And uh, when that when that next ride opens up, that's gonna you know eat up another hour or two of your time waiting in line. So uh, you know I, I do think that the best experience is gonna be you know probably at the end of this year, early next when everything's open. But um, I wouldn't I wouldn't stay away.
2: All right. That's good to know. So, yeah, I, said I do not know when my next vacation is uh, to either Disneyland or Disney World post Galaxy's Edge opening. But this podcast did its job, Peter. got me very excited. And I had already read it, uh, edited all your posts, which will be in the show notes. You wrote you wrote a lot about this in addition to your video. So if you want to know more, if you want to see photos, if you want to see all the menu items, if you want to see prices, you want like tours of all the shops we've discussed – All those links are in the show notes, and you can check them all out. They all link to each other, so it should be easy to find and read them all. And that's all I have for you right now, Peter. I am very excited to go to Galaxy's Edge.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I feel like people have been listening to this uh, over an hour now. Uh, that that's one fourth of your time. If you have reservation to galaxy which is pretty insane. Um, but I, I, I want to thank everybody who got this far and has been listening or has been watching the videos that we've been doing. Cause I, re- we recorded a bunch of videos while we were there and, uh, uh we have more coming. So, uh, th- thank you for watching, listening, reading everything. Uh, I, I, I hope my enthusiasm for this land is, is, is coming through. Okay, that brings us to the end of today's Slash home Daily. You can find more of all of our work at SlashFilm.com. You can find the articles we mentioned on today's podcast in the show notes. You can find that YouTube channel I mentioned on... YouTube.com uh, slash OrdinaryAdventures. Slash home Day was published every weekday on iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at home.com And please rate and read this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you tomorrow.